Jimmy, it's Phil in Puerto Rico. This is real important. Talk to Mr. He'll pay $20,000. Call him at 231-6228. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we are here to talk about a season three episode that you brought to my attention, Epi. Yeah. Uh, this is episode 11 on season three. Uh, so that puts it at the very end of disc two. <laughs> <laughs> did you get the Did you get no. the perfect disc poll this time? No, I did not. I was getting so good. I had some, I was at least getting close. But now, I, you know what throws me off is the, the length the short length of the sixth season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If the sixth season was roughly the same length as all the other ones, I think I'd be a little bit better at estimating. Oh my God, nobody cares. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I chose this one because we haven't seen Beth in a while. And this episode is The Trouble with Warren. So Warren, as we all know and remember, is <laughs> Beth's cousin, <laughs> who is only in this episode. Yep. Good. Good for Rockford. Oh my god, the actor who plays Warren, I did not recognize him at all. Ron Rifkin? Yeah, he's in like 10,000 things. I believe he's an actor that other people would recognize I did not, but like, he's clearly an actor. <laughs> yeah, he was in another uh, episode, an earlier episode of the Rockford Files uh, Roundabout, which is a, also a classic Yes tune. <laughs> oh, and he was in a Columbo. Who was in Make Me a Perfect Murder? Who's yeah, I recognize the older him far mm. more than I recognize the younger him. Uh, anyways, yeah, I was just think, thinking it had been a while since we saw Beth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could do kind of a Beth-centric episode. It, Beth isn't, it turns out, isn't all that centric to this episode, although there are some good scenes with her in it. Yeah, we have not done a Beth-isode in a while. Yes. I guys, <laughs> we've referred to them in the in the past. So yeah, we'll we'll... Maybe use this as a time to reprise our ongoing appreciation of the of Jim and Beth, their whole thing. Yes. <laughs> there was one comment um, that I remember coming out of our Malibu Madness where someone was asking, like, so why is Beth so important? Like, we kind of just took that as given, I guess, in our oh. conversation during all of that. Um <laughs> You know, assuming, of course, that our listeners, you know, would have gone into our archive to hear all of our earlier Bethesda mm-hmm. conversations. Um, but as a kind of just a quirk of how we've done the show, since we focused mostly on the first three seasons for the first like year or so of the podcast, we did a lot of Beth episodes yeah. because Gretchen Corbett left the show after the fourth season. So um, it's been a while since we've been hopping around in the other seasons uh, that she was not present for. It has been a while since we've really had a uh, yeah. had, had Beth present in, a, in an episode, even though this episode isn't about her, but it does have some of the moments that show us Give us a little window into their whole thing, yeah. as we call it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a legit question, too, because it is a romance that isn't the central point of the, the show. It, it is a non-plot-related romance. Like, yeah. it doesn't really come up in the plots of the shows. But I think both of us are, are particularly attached to that, that romance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we both... Uh, what, it's our OTP... trying too hard to be young and not like young young just a generation younger than me 
I think our, our deepest dive into their relationship is in is when we talked about a portrait of Elizabeth. Yes. Which I believe is the next episode uh, oh, okay. chronologically in, in the airing order. And that was our episode 11 back in June of 2017. So, you know, uh, that's also where we get uh, one of our favorite antagonists, Dave, uh, comes yes. from that. Uh, rest in power, John Saxon. We have not noted that since his passing, but yeah, great villain from that episode. Um, episode 26, The Dark and Bloody Ground. That is also one where, oh. where Beth brings Jim in on behalf of a client um, that really needs some help that I think has a similar, some similar dynamics to what we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, so our episode 26, uh, probably the other main Beth-focused one that we've really talked about. I mean, she's also very um, important in some other episodes. Like, she's she's very important in So Help Me God, for example, but in terms of their relationship, just the two of them, yeah. I think those two episodes probably frame it best. And then I think we also love seeing her in the movie uh, that she came yes. back in. Anyhow, so there's, you know, some some episodes from the archives where we talk about this, but we'll 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 talk about it again in this episode since we're coming back to it. This episode is written by Juanita Bartlett, which is always a pleasure, um, and is directed by Christian I. Nyby II, I believe is how you would pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> this is his only Rockford Files episode appearance as a director, um, though he did a ton of related shows like Hill Street Blues and a lot of Perry Mason. So if you're you're trying to get the the whole Christian I. Nyby run, you've got it. Well done. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Yep, we've completed the cycle. <laughs> There's some interesting stuff towards the end where it turns into almost like a noir film, um, which we can talk about. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's who we're dealing with here. I suppose that we should get right into it with our preview montage. Uh, okay, so the thing that should be mentioned about the preview montage is that we know it's going to be a Bethesode from it. That's fine. We knew that going in. Uh, I hit a cop, which is a great line. <laughs> When that line was delivered, I think he's in a car. So I was expecting him to have hit someone in a car. Mm. So I was like, oh, no. We get some great moments of uh, of uh, Jim insults coming through, including a couple of ex-Harvard hot dogs. <laughs> and uh, a wonderful moment where uh, Warren, I, think, I guess Warren asks him what he's doing. And he's like, it's called Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> so we know he's getting into it. He's going to get... Uh, in deep. We have a, uh, I think, uh, an exchange that en encapsulates the dynamic we're going to see where Beth says, Warren is a brilliant chess player. And Rockford <laughs> replies, he's a turkey. He's a turkey. <laughs> we also see Dennis and Rocky. Um, yeah. And so, you know, get to see all of our friends, which is always nice. And my takeaway from this preview montage was that this Warren guy is going to be trouble, <laughs> which I guess the title <laughs> yes. already told us. Hello, listeners. This is a quick break before we get into the episode to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. This show is free to all, but the support from patrons really goes a long way. So we always extend a special thanks to our gumshoes. This time we say thank you to Chuck from whatyoureading.com. Check out the site for reviews of books, games, movies, comics, and more. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, you're playing games online, so check out his dice rolling app Roll for Your Party at rollforyear.party. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and Dave Otterson. 
And finally, we cannot thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Big thanks to Kevin Brown, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get plus expenses. A bonus podcast where we casually chat about all the media we're currently enjoying and things going on in our lives. Help out the show by leaving a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. This is 1976. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is the 60s, that's right. So the trouble with Tribbles, mm. the trouble with Warren. I'm pretty sure that this is not consciously uh, referencing. <laughs> They're probably both referencing something earlier. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we get right into it. Um, so immediately after I make my note that this Warren guy is trouble. Right. You know, we have our opening credits, and then we have our titles that pop up. Immediately over our establishing <laughs> shots of L.A. at night and the first. So the first thing you see is the trouble with Warren. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> we see a man with a pipe going to his car in an empty parking garage. And then a another car pulls out of nowhere, blocking him in. And then a hand extends out of the window with a gun and shoots him dead. Then we cut to the bar where Jim is playing pool. <laughs> where Jim is losing pool. Hmm. Yeah, we see him pay his his losing bet to his opponent uh, halfway through this this scene, who then does not want to play him again. (laughs) Poor Jim. So Jim's playing pool, and uh, Warren runs in all stressed out to find him. So this is a solid first scene that is carrying multiple weights uh, right. In order to get us into the, you know, get us into the episode through their dialogue, we learn who Warren is, his relationship with Jim, which is very clear that Jim does not like Warren and does not have time for him. Yeah, my first note is I'm getting the impression that Jim doesn't care for Warren. Yeah, <laughs> like it's pretty obvious from the get go. Yeah, he he found out where Jim was from Rocky because he was calling to try and get in touch with him. There's a line because he's in a pool hall, right? So there's a mm-hmm. line of like, oh, you came down here. I thought you only played the flute. Oh, that's on Tuesday nights. Mm-hmm. So we know from the preview montage that he plays chess. He plays the flute. Um, Warren is trying to find Jim because he hasn't been able to get in touch with Beth, his cousin. And he's in some kind of trouble, but he doesn't want to talk about it in public. It'll be safer if they go to his trailer and, and talk alone. They're looking for me. On that line, we see two gorillas in suits stroll into the bar. One of them points at Warren, and he just yells no and runs at them, like, to get out the door, I guess. And uh, so one of those guys pulls a gun. He's standing next to Jim, and we get a tight, tight shot of a pool cue hitting him on the wrist to make him drop the gun. And then he punches the guy out and runs out the door after Warren. This whole bit is very angel. There's, yes. There's... A lot of things with Warren that could have been played straight with Angel, which I think is is really kind of interesting. But that no and running out Mm -hmm. just has that very, that edge to it that like, I just feel like Jim is surrounded with these people, (laughs) right? Like, like we get a little glimpse of them from time to time, mainly via Angel, but obviously with Warren. And I feel um, the most recent one or the second most recent episode we did, I can't remember what the last one we did was. There was another very Angel-like character 
The yeah, because they had the con man that came in with him. Yeah, yeah, Denova. Yeah, Denova. Who's kind of similar. He wasn't quite so cowardly. Yeah, he was more craven. Yes. <laughs> I kind of felt, I think this kind of grows over the course of the episode. There's a little, because I'm like, why, you know, what differentiates this guy from Angel, right? Right. What they do is different, obviously. But, and there's something about, like, Jim is friends with Angel, despite it all. He's not friends with Warren. No. Like, he only associates with Warren because of Beth. That little tiny piece of relationship that keeps him and Angel bound yes. together, even despite all the stuff that we did talk about in our most recent episode that we recorded. Um, material difference. Um, even when Angel drives him past the edge, he is angry, but he's he still cares about Angel, even when mm-hmm. Angel is making his yeah. life miserable. And I think this is a this is actually a pretty good piece of like character work, like acting, right, from James Garner. I never get the sense that he cares about Warren. The flute thing is a great thing about that, right? So he he takes these jabs at the fact that Warren plays a flute. The only evidence we have throughout all this is that he makes these jabs mm-hmm. at Warren, uh, which has this implication because even later on we'll get to it but like there's a there's a moment later on where beth is chiding him for it Mm -hmm. and jim's like well he's always bringing it up and he never brings it up in this episode (laughs) like at no point does warren mention the flute yeah it it almost makes jim seem mean yeah a little bit i don't want to like go too far with that because it like i feel like we just assume that he does always bring it up otherwise why would jim be bringing it up but there is no textual evidence for that. It's just Jim yeah. saying that that happens. So Jim is just annoyed with this guy. Right. So we, we get the rest of our credits over a little montage of the uh, Firebird driving through the streets. And I couldn't tell if they were being chased or not. That was exactly my note. I was like, is this a chase or just a heated drive? <laughs> I think it might just be a heated drive. Yeah. Uh, they finally park. Um, Jim is driving, of course. And Warren's first words to him are, you drive very well. <laughs> And he says thanks. Who'd I hit? I wonder if I've done the right thing. Maybe I should have gone down to the station with them and answered the questions. I hit a cop? Says the last (laughs) thing that he wants. Warren apparently heard on the radio that he was wanted for questioning in connection with a murder. Um, As we learn, the man who was murdered, his name is uh, Robert Bonner, and he was an executive at the Left Court Electronics where Warren works, or worked until until later that day. Um, He said that he had an argument with the guy earlier in the day and he lost his temper, but that was it. He didn't do it. Don't worry, Jim. I know I can straighten this whole thing out, which is our first uh, joke in the cut in this episode. We cut from him saying we can straighten this whole thing out to Lieutenant Chapman, our dear friend, (laughs) yelling at Jim, assault on a police officer, flight to avoid arrest, etc., etc., Jim said he came he came in voluntarily to iron this whole thing out. He brought Warren with him, uh, and they have some back and forth about his about the the cops that he that he punched out. He's like, look, they look like a couple of goons. Yeah, like the whole time I'm watching the scene, I'm like, they never identified themselves as cops, right? So like maybe there's some ground here, and that does come up. Yeah, he says they didn't identify themselves as the police officers, and Chapman says, well, that's because you didn't give them a chance before you came down on them, and that's going to cost you your license. And that's where Jim gets very serious. <laughs> the hell it is. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, there's something when Jim gets direct with Chapman that I really like. I'm seeing where where in the show Chapman first shows up because this 
also is a little bit of background setting for them because he mentions that like i've heard about you back when i was down at wilshire division you've got a contempt for the law and those who enforce it it looks like this season is the season he shows up okay he shows up at the end of season two. Oh, he does okay Oh, well, okay, so he's not Chapman yet in that episode. So his first appearance is at the beginning of season three as Chapman. I see. And so, and this is a replacement for um, Deal. Ah, uh, yes, Deal. Right, so this is, yeah, so this is still early in the Chapman-Rockford relationship, I guess. Yeah. One would say, for sure. And this is definitely before that episode where they have to work together. <laughs> There's an episode where he... Chapman has to come to Rockford for help, which is uh, right. kill the messenger. Um, that's not for a couple of seasons. So this is early in our relationship. At the very least, it, you might have to introduce audiences who may have missed an episode or two mm-hmm. to the fact that uh, Chapman and Rockford don't get along. But yes, so he does, in fact, have Jim booked for these charges mm-hmm. is the result of this whole thing. And so we cut to Warren outside leaning on a car doing math on a notepad. <laughs> Yeah, I paused to see what kind of math he's doing, and it's it's algebra. It's not. It doesn't even look like the things he's writing are related to each other in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just to show you that he he's aware of high school level math. True to form, Beth has gotten Jim out uh, after his night in the in the pokey. Uh, but Warren wasn't even held overnight, as <laughs> though they wanted to question him, they didn't have a case against me. Uh, Beth wants to talk to Jim alone. Warren's like, "Oh, we'll have lunch later." And this is when, uh, yeah, Jim, we, we get, I think, the first burst from Jim about, like, yeah, we have spent time together, and I don't like it. Oh, I can hardly wait. The last time we had lunch, he spent 45 minutes on the Steinitz gambit and how Strogovich electrified the chess world in the 1960 Leningrad Championship. Warren is a brilliant chess player. He's a turkey. He's my cousin. Jim. So, again, um, this is, you know, doing some of the scene and character setting if you are coming to this you know kind of fresh uh beth is jim's lawyer we get you know a little bit about how she's used the one who has got him out of jail right Mm -hmm. the fact that warren is her cousin and she's asking jim for help that's the triangle right and yeah the only reason that jim is going to do anything is because beth is asking him because of their relationship (laughs) Because of the eyes she's giving him in this conversation, <laughs> there's definitely a moment of puppy dog. There's a little, yes, there's definitely some puppy dog, like, please appeal going on. And I get the sense that Beth knows that this is going to get Jim to do the thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like This is just the hoops that she's got to go through. Jim has a great line at the end of this where he's like, my next attorney is going to be a foundling. Yes. With no living relatives. um so the thing is warren doesn't realize the trouble that he's in that the cops are trying to build a case against him uh his lighter was found next to the body Mm -hmm. but he doesn't even park on that level uh there's no way it could have been there accidentally therefore some whoever killed this guy must have been in their same company and heard about their argument i think this is where we get the the fact that warren was actually fired during that day like and that argument was about him being fired or about getting him a job somewhere else or something like that? So the, the contrast here, uh, because I brought up the Angel comparison, uh, is that Angel keeps information from Jim because Angel doesn't trust people. <laughs> <laughs> Warren keeps information from Jim for the most part because he's 
he just doesn't think it's relevant. Like, he just doesn't think yeah. about it. Like, there's a whole thing at the end where he thinks he can solve it with a computer. It's a joke. It's just a joke. But, like, it still gets to the heart of what's going on is that he can't actually see the picture. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a very smart person who doesn't actually know, can't interact with people but also doesn't feed Jim all the information that Jim needs to know. Yeah, there, there's a part where Jim says, like, he lied to me. And it's like, it's not really that he lies consciously. Yeah. It's that he just doesn't think that things, he just doesn't think to mention things. Yeah, like the cops. Like, he can't tell Jim that the cops are after him. Uh, I don't feel like, like, Angel would not tell Jim that the cops are after him. Well, Angel probably would. Mm-hmm. But Angel wouldn't wouldn't tell him that he was actually fired from that job because that's right. a piece of information that he knows will make Jim treat him differently. Yes. While Warren just didn't think to mention it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we end this with Jim saying, I'm not going to interfere with an active police investigation, which, mm-hmm. you know, he always yeah. tries. But then he, she, he gets the puppy dog eyes from Beth and she says, please. And uh, my next attorney is going to be a foundling, someone with no known living relatives. <sighs> We cut back to our office building where Jim is uh, doing one of his characters, Mr. Taggart, with his glasses on so we know he's incognito. (laughs) My note is, glasses on for bureaucrat. Right. (laughs) And so he's talking to uh, a gray-haired man, Mr. Lefcourt, who is the Mm -hmm. Lefcourt of Lefcourt Electronics. And he's saying that he's from the Department of Human Resources. Mr. Lefcourt's like, the unemployment office? Well, I'm with the Department of Executive Reassignment. So he's trying to talk himself into a position where he can find out more about Warren's firing, it sounds like. Yeah. But Lefcourt called, like, like has him on lock. Get out of here. I beg your pardon? A lot of people try to force their way into my office for one reason or another. But nobody's ever tried anything as patently absurd as that story. Department of Human Resources does not have field representatives to find jobs for that clientele. <laughs> and then Jim pivots. Sunnyvale Employment does. Oh, you thought I meant the government agency. No, 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 no. We're, we're a private concern. <laughs> it's like, oh, we use the same name because it adds a little like gravitas to our business or whatever. Um, and he just wants to talk to the people that Warren Weeks worked with. This apparently works enough, or at least throws left court off enough to give him a little bit more information. This is the thing about Jim's pivots, or Jim's cons in general, is that um, Jim isn't long conning anyone. He's not mm-hmm. trying to uh, create a a really stable persona. Right. He's just trying to get the information, or rather, he's just trying to get any information. So if he can pivot in a way... Yeah, he'll go with whatever works. Yeah, and it, you don't have to even trust him because sometimes you not trusting him in certain ways will give him enough information. That's not the case here. This guy just, maybe I'm mixing up my notes here, but he mentions Robert Bonner, mm-hmm. but doesn't say he's dead. So he says that Warren was employed for better than eight years and he was fired in eight minutes. Uh, yeah. But he didn't fire him. Robert Bonner fired him. And I made a note that I'm like, oh, that's the dead guy. But yeah, he, I don't think he mentions that that person is dead. Yeah. But also, I don't know if that's because like it was in the news. Like he would just assume. Right. Like the more we hear about this guy left court, the more like of a cold blooded jerk we learn that he is. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of in his character. Um but his point is, like, it's a big company. I don't have time yeah. or inclination to hire and fire people. So, you know, I can't give you any more information. Then we get to two two good things. One is, as Jim leaves, we get a call in from Lefcourt's secretary telling him about, about a senator that's called for him three times already and is trying to talk to him. Yeah. And he reiterates that he's still out. 
And we see Jim listening to that conversation. And this is the type of thing, right? Like Jim's cons are just so he can be close enough to get some information. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He responds to that. I forget exactly what he says, but it's like, oh, government contracts or something. Good day, Mr. Taggart. As Jim steps through the door directly into Chapman. (laughs) (laughs) And we get the wah-wah harmonica as... uh, Jim folds up his glasses with his wry smile on his face like, oh, you got me. <laughs> glasses off. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time we've seen that, really. Uh, yeah. In our in our coverage of the show, where, like, he goes directly from, like, he's like, all right, successful con. Oh, 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 there's Chapman. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I thought that was good. Yeah, no, that was good. I, the, uh, the business with the glasses is great. It's got, like, a... Um, Superman Clark Kent thing yeah. going that I like. Then the very next bit, which is that he got him on malicious mischief. Yes, malicious <laughs> mischief. That's a thing of beauty. Okay, this thing with the senator. This is going to be important later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much telegraphed. Uh, so yes, we're now at the Hollywood Division Police Station where Beth has got him out of the malicious mischief charge. <laughs> And he says that my attorney's supposed to get me out of trouble, not into it. <laughs> so there is a bit of a weird weirdness here. Warren says that Leftcourt fired him, and Leftcourt says that Bonner fired him. Um, right. So I guess that's why Jim went to Leftcourt, right? Beth is is making this connection, and Jim's saying, "Ask Warren about it. I'm out of this. <laughs> I did the thing you asked me to do. I got in more trouble with the cops. This is what gets Beth's back up." Yeah. And now she gets mad at Jim for not liking Warren. And this is another part of their dynamic, I think, that we that we see here where uh, she will only put up with him to a point. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this is I, I'm draw draw the connection with um, a portrait of Elizabeth again, because we see it there, too, which is when Beth is invested in someone else. She wants Jim to like them the way that she does. Yeah. And then when he rejects that when he's like i don't need to like this person just because you do she takes that as a personal affront (laughs) so we don't get um every time beth saves jim in this one it's because of trouble he's getting into for warren right but i feel like i mean we know as viewers of the show but also i feel like there's a clear implication that beth is always getting jim out of trouble so even if there isn't like the puppy dog eyes even if there isn't a relationship between the two of them. Uh, it, I think it does come across pretty clear that she owes him something to mm-hmm. that effect. Or I'm sorry, the other way around. He owes her uh, if she's the one that he turns to whenever he's in legal trouble. Yeah, we don't get it in this one, but there is also the constant like back and forth about like paying her for her time. Yeah. And that never <laughs> happening. I think that's reflected in the earlier like line about the foundling like the next mm-hmm. time i i get a lawyer there'll be a foundling it doesn't matter who your lawyer's relatives are it's not the fact that beth is your lawyer right <laughs> that makes you beholden to warren <laughs> yeah it's, it's the fact that you care about beth and she's yeah and she's like, calling in that that's that's what she's calling in not not a yeah favor that you owe me for getting you out of trouble though that's kind of an undercurrent but it's the like yeah i need you to help my cousin out yeah please <laughs> <laughs> Here's where we get our another line about the flute. Mm-hmm. She says, you're always making fun of him. What's funny about playing the flute? He talks about it all the time. And Beth has a very good comeback of, you talk about fishing all the time. And the Rams. I don't remember him ever talking about the Rams, but I could assume he has. I recently saw him, him and Becker talk about Lakers tickets. But yeah, I'm not sure about the Rams. 
Yeah. I wonder if that's a joke, though. I wonder if that's just her mixing up the sport. Because he does. He does talk about the Lakers all the time. And she might just be like, whatever local team, the Rams. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's possible. All right. But the feds. The feds. Or as my notes put it, new goons. Oh, feds. So Jim's intercepted. They ask him to come to the federal building. Why should he cooperate? We're conducting an investigation. You don't have to come now, but you can. if you don't, you can expect a grand jury subpoena. Of course, is not a big fan of this either and asks if he can answer the questions with his attorney present. And they're like, you know, whatever you like. Part of the physical action during this is him discovering that he has a ticket on his car. Yes, uh, so good. It just piles up for you, Jim. So I like the, the the hierarchy here for Jim is like, I don't want to answer your questions. Okay, well, then we're going to give you a jan- grand jury subpoena. Okay, I'll answer your questions with my lawyer present. <laughs> He's not willing to escalate all the way there. That's for a different episode. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he knows enough not to go in by himself. That said, we cut to Jim with the feds in an office and he has not been able to get a hold of Beth. When 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 the main the main Fed says, uh, "Look, we just want information. We're not looking for self incrimination." Jim says to go ahead, and I was like, "Jim, what are you doing, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> Don't talk to the cops." But I think this works with how this plays out. Uh, they ask him what he knows about Bolivia, and asks him what he they, what he knows about a certain general, and he's like, "I don't know, you know, I don't know who that is. Uh, I don't know what you want want from me." Well. We have it on good authority that you do know Warren Weeks. Uh, this is about Warren. It's not about me. <laughs> Jim asks who their good authority is. Is it, uh, you know, someone at left court or maybe the cops? And they stay silent. And he's like, all right, well, you're going to have to get that subpoena. <laughs> so I guess he plays this, you know, in accordance to everything we know about him. Where he's kind of yeah. like, I'm already here. Maybe this won't be a thing and I can just be done. Oh, this is a thing? Okay, I'm walking. Because I know my rights and, you know, I don't need to answer your questions right now. He is a jailhouse lawyer. <laughs> yes. Yardbird lawyer. Yardbird lawyer. <laughs> he heads out down this hallway and then he takes a look at the, what is that called? The directory. The directory, thank you. Takes a look at the directory, and it's just blank next to this office. I, I love this con, and I'm trying to figure out why I love this con that he pulls on this janitor here, except that it's just just expertly done. It's just so smooth. Yeah, it just follows that gym thing of, like, keep the person talking long enough to learn whatever you can to get you to the next spot, right? He's acting put upon. Yeah. But he's asking for help. Yeah. So he's not being a jerk to this guy, but he is also not doing the, like, I'm in a jam and I really need your help, like, the time pressure thing. It's yeah. more of the, like, most of the people in this building probably treat you like garbage. So right. I'm going to treat you like a person <laughs> and we'll see where this goes. So this whole thing, to wit, is that uh, there's a facilities guy who's holding a plunger and has a cigar in his mouth, which uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate. <laughs> who, like, steps out of a maintenance closet or something. And Jim stops him and uh says uh he he complains about how uh all the towels are gone from the bathroom and he has to walk yeah. all the way down from the other end of the of the floor to go to this bathroom and there's no towels and it's it's the tenants in 244 they they take all of them i've seen them <laughs> and so the guy's like there's no tenants in 244 he's like but there's these two guys they're wearing suits or whatever it's like oh those guys yeah they don't work in the building they were sent down from washington yeah, well who are they uh, I've tried to talk to them. They're not overly friendly. Yeah, they don't have to be. 
Hey, I don't know who those two guys are, but they got some kind of clout. We're not even supposed to clean out Office 244 after dark. As if I give a hoot about what the Congress is up to. Hey, a Congress? I mean, they act like cops. Hey, listen, mister, I don't know about you, but I'm just a GS3. And if those guys are down from Capitol Hill, they could take all the towels they want out of that bathroom and I could care less. <laughs> and Jim's like, all right. He doesn't need to yell at this guy about the towels. He got the information that he wanted. Yeah. Uh, he goes home and there's a guy waiting for him, which is always ominous. But this is uh, Garrett Hudson, and he's a vice uh, vice president or something at Left Court Electronics. And he wants to help Warren out. He hasn't been able to get a, get a hold of him, but somehow he knew that Jim was involved. Question mark. There is precisely the right amount of suspicion on this scene i feel like <laughs> like uh why is he there why is he talking to jim uh he seems to be in warren's corner it, it's one of those scenes where you half expect him to drop the facade at some point yeah and like pull a gun or something pull a gun or sucker punch jim or something uh but he doesn't he on the surface at least appears to be actually trying to warn warren about uh left court yeah so Jim is taking his groceries in, which is also another like, eh, but Jim gets his groceries into the, as far as we can tell, gets his groceries into his trailer unmolested. Could I just talk about the set dressing for his groceries for a second here? Yes, please. Uh, because there is, I think, probably a rule in Hollywood, in, in the film and TV industry, that if you have groceries, the way you indicate this is with a brown paper bag with a baguette and a stalk of celery sticking out of the top. <laughs> and they do it with uh, a, a brown paper bag with a bag of potato chips sticking out of the top. Perfect. Um, which I believe we can tell because it says potato chips in giant letters yes. across the top of the bag. <laughs> so, yeah. So Garrett wants wants Jim and Warren, by extension, to know that Leftcourt knows that Warren is having an affair with Leftcourt's wife, Catherine. Yes. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh okay we haven't even met Catherine yet and i'm like what uh it says that the argument that warren and bonner had was a normal workplace argument when someone gets fired but that bonner's secretary uh quote got hysterical and called the cops and also talked to the media and that has given left court an opportunity to frame warren in order to to i don't know get him out of the picture or get his revenge or whatever uh, you know, Jim plays it like, I don't know why you're talking to me. I'm not going to deal with Warren anymore. But, yeah. uh, Garrett says that like, he's got to be warned. I just want Warren to know what he's up against. Right. If, if somebody like left court was gunning for me, I'd like to know that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But yeah, definitely suspicious. Uh, but not like I said, the precise amount of suspicion because this could actually be a legit warning. Right. And as it turns out, it is. Y- yeah. No, it's a setup. It's a setup, but there are... So, Garrett doesn't tell Jim any lies. Yes. But he does, <laughs> as we learn, misrepresent what that information means. Yeah. Jim will do the same very soon. I mean, which is a nice line to tread for this kind of story. Yeah. So we go to the phone is ringing at Beth's place, and we get our signature plants. Beth's apartment, you know, goes through different iterations based on the season and whatever scenery they're, whatever set dressing they're doing. Sometimes it's very yellow. Um, sometimes <laughs> it has a bar, but there's always a lot of plants everywhere. Yes. Which is great. Sometimes the sound of a cat. 
we do not hear hear about or see the cat in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Beth is playing chess with Warren and interrupts their game to answer the phone. And Jim is using his serious voice and mm-hmm. wants to talk to Warren. He asks Warren what he knows about Bolivia, and we learn that Warren did a feasibility study for the company there five months ago, and that he dealt with that general that Jim mm-hmm. also half remembers the name of. Um, it was routine. It's the same thing he's done in all kinds of places. He names all these other countries. Uh, Jim Jim gets heated, says, uh, well, there's a grand jury involved. So clearly something happened, and Warren's like, I don't, I don't know. In my notes, I say Jim pops off as he gets pretty heated with Warren about not telling him everything. And he uses the phrase, uh, something like, you didn't tell me that you were playing house with Mrs. Lefcourt. And then Warren gets mad. Uh, Yes. You know, you have no right to talk like that. She is bright and she is kind. So this is a moment where in the previous scene, I'm wondering if this guy is telling lies, right? Mm -hmm. And Warren's reaction there, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Warren is having an affair. And Jim's point is that you never told me that Lovecourt has a great reason for framing you for this murder. Yeah. Uh, and so now you've been warned. You know that he knows, and I am out. And Warren, <laughs> uh, still mad himself. Okay, I've been warned. And he slams down the phone. <laughs> I believe there's a shot where like knocks over some of the chess pieces. Yeah, or something. Something like that. Uh, Warren steamed, and we cut to him running up to left court while he's playing tennis. Yeah. Uh, I did not realize till later that I guess this is his private tennis court. I assumed it's like a club or something, but yeah. not that it matters except that we come back here later. <laughs> yeah. Warren accuses left court of framing him and says that he loves Catherine and he's going to ask her to marry him. <laughs> Uh, Lefcourt calls for security uh, and and mocks uh, Warren. You know, what can you offer her? Like that kind of thing. He clearly does not f- seem to be threatened by this, uh, by the sudden appearance of an angry Warren. And Warren is not threatening, right? He's a small, yeah. small guy, uh, kind of nervous face, like kind of scrawny. Uh, he's not an, inti- he's no Gandhi. No. <laughs> we have the two goons, one with an amazing mop of blonde hair, but a big brown mustache. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, at first I was like, do these guys have the same haircut? Like, there's something very samey about these two. Like, they could be brothers. They do seem to have the same blonde kind of shaggy mop. Yeah. But then one of them is clean shaven and the other one has a brown mustache. Yeah. Oh, and the clean shaven one has brown sideburns. So there's something going <laughs> There's a whole <laughs> side story about these guys. So anyway, our blonde-haired goons drag Warren away as he yells, I won't let you get away with this. <laughs> then we cut to Jim grilling steaks for Rocky. So very first note, Jim's grilling. Will he get to eat? Question mark. Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> Rocky keeps asking about Warren. Jim doesn't want to talk about him, but Rocky does want to talk about him. That's yeah. why he's asking. Uh, we have an aside where he asks if the potatoes are real because he doesn't like the ready-made ones that are all frozen and cold. <laughs> are those ready-made fries? I think so. Yeah. I think that like he's he's cooking. I was trying to figure this out, too. It appears to me that he has wrapped frozen french fries in foil and and is cooking them on the grill and i think rocky wants real potatoes cut to fries and cooked on the grill and he's not getting that i don't think i don't i i don't think they're real we do get a wonderful line uh about rocky's taste in people when jim's like 
you always were a sucker for a short haircut, which I assume means like a clean cut person. Like if they're clean cut, Rocky just assumes the best of them. Yeah, I don't know what that really means. I feel like there's some other meaning to that. Maybe something about like being kind of like square. Yeah. So uh, there's a point here that gets under Jim's skin that I think is important. Well, anyway, I'm sure glad whatever trouble he got himself into, you was able to get him out. Well, I didn't. Was that bad? You couldn't do anything? I didn't say that. There's nothing I will do. I walked away from it. Oh, Jim, he's best cousin. But I think that kind of like, that, that putting that, that bug in his ear of like, oh, yeah. you, you couldn't do anything, I think it contributes to his whole, I don't know, everything. Uh, after the line about the, the short haircut, we see Jim carefully cut off piece of steak he reaches over gets the salt and pepper brings it back to his side and he's literally lifting the fork to his mouth and i'm typing in my notes jim gets to eat a and then the phone rings and he puts it down (laughs) delete 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 (laughs) (laughs) i don't know who that is for someone's trolling us us. yeah (laughs) yeah because it's the same thing i'm just watching it and i was like nope no food for jim i was literally thinking just put the just Put it in your mouth. Just you, you can chew it on the way to the phone, Jim. Yeah, you can eat and talk. It's okay. But no, <laughs> no steak for Jim. I mean, maybe he finishes it later. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, it's a call from Beth, who is panicked. Um, You've got to stop Warren. He's on the way to Lefcourt's house. This is the last time I'll ask you to do anything for him. I promise. <laughs> we see that Beth understands even she can only pull on Jim's... Uh, I don't know, heartstrings so many times. And like, this is like, I think each time we've seen her do it a little differently. Like first was kind of like the puppy dog eyes, like, please do it for me. The second time was this kind of uh, righteous indignation. Like, yeah, I can't believe that you wouldn't do this just because you don't like him. Like, you know, and then this time is like a real like, no, seriously, you need to help him. This is an emergency. Like, I think I mentioned that Jim used a serious voice earlier, and this is Beth using her serious voice. As Jim heads out of the trailer, he says that there's a lot to be said for friendship and there's a lot to be said against it. I will I will note that this, in fact, she's not lying. This is the <laughs> last time that <laughs> I think in this episode, but certainly Warren doesn't show up ever again. Right, right. From from here on uh, events snowball. We're going to take a quick break so that everyone can walk around, stretch, get a refreshing beverage of choice, and uh, find out where you can find us on the internet when we're not talking about the Rockford Files. Of course, 200 a Day can be found at 200aday.fireside.fm, patreon.com slash 200 day, and on Twitter at 200pod. You can also email us at 200adaypodcast at gmail.com. Epi. Where can our fine listeners find you elsewhere on the internet? Uh, you can find my games at digathousandholes.com. That's dig and then the number 1000 and then holes.com. Or you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you upon this internet? All of my stuff, including my game design, my freelance graphic design and layout work, and other projects that I do, like zines and podcasts, are at ndpdesign.com. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, 
Uh, I'm also on Instagram at the same handle where you can see pictures of my dog. I hope you're comfortable with your favorite beverage in hand as we return you now to the show. Jim goes to the big fancy house, uh, Lefcourt's house. He goes around the back. And we have this really ominous, like, horror movie style Ah. point of view tracking shot uh, where we're with Jim as he, like, scans across the tennis court. And we see a automatic uh, ball server. I don't know what that would be called. A machine that shoots the tennis balls for, you know, for you to work on your returns. And that's just shooting balls into nothingness. It's it's great because it's otherwise I believe it's otherwise silent and you just keep hearing that. Yeah, so much of this is borrowed from horror. Mm-hmm. Like just that and then we we pan over and we get the body and it's not gruesome, mm-hmm. but the way he's lying there is an awkward pose so it feels more like an actual dead body. So it, it really kind of within the confines of the of television decency right right it's a pretty uh ominous shot it's it's i think it's well done and and then we switch back to the like medium shot to see jim c warren running out of the tennis court yeah and he's panicked and then he actually shows jim Lefcourt's body because jim couldn't like see it behind him or something yeah. He swears that uh, he was dead when he got there. There's a message for him with his service telling him to come, you know, they'll hash it out or something. And then they hear police sirens as they're talking. And so Jim's like, well, they, you know, they probably got the same call. This this is a setup. Yeah. His car is at the bottom of the road. So they get into Warren's car. And then Warren, there's, there's a little bit of like logic here that I didn't super understand, but it's fine. So he's like, we need to go to the cops immediately, but it looks bad if these cops catch you here. Yeah, you have to surrender yourself. That would be better, I guess, is the logic, right? But then he doesn't really get out of there quickly enough, and the cops see them, and so he's like, okay, just pull over. But then Warren panics and hits the gas, and the chase is on. There's some stuff about this chase. Mm-hmm. First of all, Warren can handle a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't think that that's the intent of what we're getting here, uh, but... In order to make this a fun chase, this car sure sure, sure speeds along. Yeah, and I don't... Okay, l- let me ask you this about this chase. Is there a Scooby-Doo moment here? Does yes. Warren come down and the cop goes a different direction and then they pass each other through the same intersection again? Like, it feels like that moment in Scooby-Doo where they're <clears> running in and out of different... You're looking down the hallway and they're coming in and out of different room doors. Yeah, and, it's a little confused. I think what happens, like, if you were looking down at it, right, there's a... Yeah, there's, like, a roundabout that's essentially a Y intersection with another yeah. road that crosses. So Warren goes to the right and the cop car goes to the left because it was far enough behind that it didn't see which direction you went. Yeah. And then we follow Warren for a little bit, and then we go back to the cop car, which sees Warren's car go through that intersection again in a different direction, I think, or through that cross street. The way it's shot, it looks like Warren went off to his right and then somehow got turned around and came came back back. in from the same direction that he just left. Or all of the intersections in this neighborhood, or several of the intersections in this neighborhood, look similar enough that uh, they got lost in some maze where that happens. Mm. I don't know the neighborhood well enough. Like <laughs> that might be an actual joke that they're trying to to do. Yeah, it's it's not quite. We don't quite have enough context to like see the strategy level. Um, yeah, or lack thereof. 
we do get a shot of speeded up film to yes. show that Warren's car is going fast, which is a little unusual. But I guess because they didn't have James Garner driving, they uh, needed to give a little more oomph or something. <laughs> um, this does end with a very good resolution where they pass a wedding reception at like some big fancy house. And there's all these cars lining oh, the road. Yeah. And Jim's like, it's a wedding. Pull in. <laughs> and they pull in and a valet takes their car. And then they go into the building before the cops see the car come in and then make the valet get out. <laughs> yeah, that that scene today has a whole level of implications. That, I know. Like, I was like, oh, no, the valet is black. So he's driving yeah. this car and then this, these cops are like, get out of the car. And I was like, oh, my God. But it doesn't play out that way. It was not filmed with that intention, I don't yeah, think. Yeah. Uh, it is more of a current day valence there that caused a little tension. Clearly, we know by the next scene, the cops figured out that that's the valet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they mingle in the wedding reception. I love that there's a little shot where they both go over and shake the groom's hand. Yes. They kind of like butt into a reception line. It's great because Jim is doing it so smoothly and Warren is just following Jim and trying yeah. to like, doesn't know what's happening. Just doesn't know what's happening. Warren and, is, is operating on pure reflex. I think Yeah, Jim manages to, to glad hand someone in such a way as to point out where the, uh, where the coat rack is. Hey, how are you? Glad to see you. Hi. Yeah. You seen Herb around? Herb. Yeah. Yeah. He said he was looking for a place to uh, hang his coat. Oh, well, he'd be in the house in there. Hey, thank you. We'll get together on a Santa Cruz deal later. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about Santa Cruz later. Bye. <laughs> As Jim digs through coat pockets to find another valet ticket, I assumed. Yes. Um, we see the cops coming through the crowd, but they manage to dip out before them. And there's a different valet that he gives the ticket to. And this is another little moment that I really liked. Oh, yes. Uh, and which car is it? And then Jim acts drunk. Yeah. Like he oh, can't. So good. And the valet's like, I'll find it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there's a couple of things about this. The first is uh, he acts drunk so that he can not answer that question, right? He mm -hmm. doesn't know what kind of car it is. But that puts him in a situation where Warren has to drive again. Right. And I like that, too. Like, I, there's just something very nice about how that all plays out. Yeah, the logic there all, like, tracks really well. And it just, like, is a nice little moment that gives you a bunch of things that aren't huge deals, but just, like, right. it just works. Uh, of course, by the law of uh, TV comedy, the car that they have randomly pulled is this weeny little wagon that uh, the valet pulls up and it's just like, oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> they do get into it. Uh, Warren says that he's sorry. Jim is not interested in sorry. He's interested in getting out. And uh, the last little touch here is that Warren tips the valet. <laughs> yes. With coins, I think? It's, I think so. It's not a great tip. <laughs> we cut from here into a parking lot. Um, so they apparently, this this gambit apparently worked. And they made it made it away from the cops without having to do a, a, a race in this little weenie car. Um, Jim wants to get Beth and then go turn themselves in. And as soon as Jim gets out of the car, Warren peels <laughs> out and takes off. Again, the echoes of Angel. Yes. There's some language in there somewhere about like, I'm already, you know, I'm already an accessory after the fact. Why not throw Grand Theft Auto on top of it? Yeah. <laughs> Jim goes in to see Beth. Uh, 
she wants to know what happened and jim is very snarky about you know why don't you ask warren uh and then he gives a phone call to our good friend dennis becker who we know immediately is waiting for such a phone call because he has someone else pick up the other line as he answers the phone it's his his i'm supposed to keep jim on the line voice right which is so suspicious He's like fine jimbo how about you yeah we talked about this in our last episode because we had a similar scene but like anytime that becker's like hey let's just have a chat yeah i'm happy to hear from you yeah <laughs> yeah maybe we should go fishing soon or something like that and we see jim roll his eyes and then just hang up yes and then he calls back and uh becker's like why'd you hang up because i didn't want my call to be traced becker <laughs> How much trouble am I in? Yes. How about you come in and we'll talk about it. What about the left court murder? (laughs) And Becker offers him a deal. You come in and we'll straighten this thing out and I'll call off the APB. Mm -hmm. Now that Jim knows the stakes, the cops are looking for him. He hangs up, turns to Beth. Honey, I want to have to borrow your car. Why? Because Warren stole the car that I stole. Can I have your keys? Yes. Uh, that's good. This is this is a Jim and Beth their whole thing moment, right? Yeah. This is transitioning from Jim was dragged kicking and screaming to helping Warren to now Jim has skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Now he has to get himself out. And so now he needs Beth's help in the form yes. of her car. I mean, he's not all smiles, but no. speaks with a gentler tone of voice. He calls her honey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's all... He's doing as close to puppy dog eyes as he can at this Mm -hmm. point. He has now racked up a bunch of felonies trying to help Warren. And the only thing that's going to get him out now is turning in whoever actually killed Lefcourt. And this is a standard ploy we've seen quite a few times in the Rockford Files where uh, now he's on the case because his only way out is to find out. Otherwise, it's just going to land on his shoulders. So he might as well solve the case for the cops. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, importantly, he's not going to tell Beth anymore because the less she knows, the better. Yeah. No, I think she can probably peace out from what she heard over <laughs> on the yes. end of the phone. What's going on? Um, Jim goes back to the left court house and Beth's red convertible, which is always, always a yeah, joy. Yeah, of course. Uh, oh, and so here, I think this is the first time I've seen him run this con. Mm-hmm. It's a con of opportunity. He, I don't think he sets out to do this. No, he does. He does. What he does is he lets her, lets the housekeeper believe he's the police. Yeah, I think he says, like, I just have a couple more questions or something like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, she assumes that he's from the police. So he tell, so she tells Mrs. Lovecourt that the police are, are back. Being very careful throughout this scene, because I was paying close attention, mm-hmm. to never confirm mm-hmm. if he's directly asked if he's the police and uh, to never say that he's the police. He just leads them to believe he is and then lets them continue from there. Right, because it's whatever whatever little bit it takes to get into the house. He's going to, that's all he needs. So we have our first appearance of Mrs. Lefcourt, who we see Jim being surprised. And so I guess, I assume it's because she's younger than Lefcourt was uh, and she's attractive. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. That, that Warren would <laughs> have an affair with this woman, but uh, sure, yeah. it happens. We go into a very teal room uh, to have this conversation. <laughs> it's a very teal on teal kind of decor. Uh, so his initial gambit is like, we know that you have been having an affair with Warren Weeks. And she's like, 
of course you know that because I told you. (laughs) (laughs) And Jim's like, okay, got to change gears. Yeah. (laughs) Often in such situations, there's something that people, you know, are holding back. And we see her getting a little suspicious. You know, your people are already here. I answered all your questions. Uh, My husband never interfered with my personal affairs. So I didn't have anything to hold back. And then he asks her how much she stands to inherit. And she'll answer further questions at headquarters with her attorney present. And that's when Jim's like, I don't have a headquarters. (laughs) I'm not with the police. I just let your housekeeper think that. Um, That's something like, I'm just trying to figure out the truth. What does it look like to you with you looking to inherit so much money and Warren Weeks being such a born patsy? Yeah. Oh, it's a good line. And then we, I think we just cut from there. Uh, so there's no real resolution to that, but we see the train of thought that Jim is having. Yeah. We cut to a motel where Jim's hiding out and a close up on a Danish with Jim saying, what is this prune? <laughs> all I could get, Sonny. Oh, Rocky. All you could get was the prune Danish. There's also the business with the coffee where he takes a sip and it's clearly bad coffee. Hmm. Uh, now, this is a good food episode. It is, yeah. Uh, Jim is trying to figure out how the two murders are tied together. Uh, if he can figure that out, it'll break the case. And so this time he's going to take Rocky's car and tells him to keep the door locked. So I assume that the Firebird, like... So I was thinking about this, too. Was impounded or something? I mean, it had to have been. It was left at the scene of the crime. Right. I, I don't know how he's returning these cars to people. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like that he's borrowing everyone's car and driving around. There yeah. is a there is a a uh, forensics of the cars that could be done with this episode, which yeah. is a little lacking, <laughs> but whatever, it's fine. Uh, Jim goes to see, I guess, a stockbroker friend, and this is yes. something I feel like we saw a lot more in the early episodes and less so in the later ones, where Jim just has this like network of of acquaintances. Uh, that have specialties that he can go to for specific things, the, and they're. Always just a little bit more available to Jim than Jim is to Warren. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> they're not happy to see Jim, but they're not. They're Dennis level excited about Jim. Right. They're like, you only come to see me when you need something. But I only come to see you when I need something. So I guess that's our relationship. <laughs> um, so this guy, uh, he says that, uh, you know, you, your job is to keep an eye on all the big companies um, is anyone selling a lot of left court stock? Because uh, yeah. he has this theory of if someone on the executive level that is planning to like flee the country or something, then they're going to be liquidating their stock in advance. Uh, but that has not been happening. And there's a good line in there of like left court's a blue chip. Uh, like even murder doesn't yeah. make a movement on it or something like that. Just like ah, capitalism. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, capitalism. He asked about this congressional investigation, and the guy's like, I don't, I haven't heard anything about that. Well, maybe you should ask somebody, because uh, if you could dig anything up about it, it would be good for you to know. Yep. So he's offering a kind of a tip, right? Like, I know this. If it's important, you should know that, because it can help you out. Give you an edge. And I like, so he makes a phone call, so he just like calls a guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he knows a guy. <laughs> Through his side of the call, we see that, yes, something is going on. And then he tells Jim that there's a Senate subcommittee on multinational corporations and they're doing hearings on corporate bribery and that Love Court is a subject of those uh, hearings. Jim brings up that senator's phone call that he overheard from earlier in the episode and asks who the subcommittee will call to testify. 
Uh, there's two, maybe three people they call now that both Bonner and Lefkorn are dead. And he lists a couple of the names of like executive vice presidents or whatever, uh, of course, including Garrett. Uh, yeah. Who had given him the warning about Warren. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then Jim makes a phone call. Don't worry. It's local. I forgot who he called. Um, I assume that he calls Becker, honestly. Maybe. Yeah. So we're going to get into our finale here. And I'll yeah. tell you why I think that maybe when we get to it. So we actually cut to the Firebird. So some somehow he's gotten his car back. And I think that's where our car forensics falls apart. Because like clearly it wasn't impounded or he wouldn't have gotten it back by now. Uh, so who knows? It doesn't matter. Hmm. Um, we do get his... Uh, firebird antics um as he is going to see gareth uh or garrett uh the guy who told him to warn warren and we have this interesting scene where jim is talking to him about the case uh garrett is having guard trouble so they're going in and out of like being under the hood and yeah. going in and testing the throttle and uh, there's a joke about how there's all these wires and stuff. And I feel that, A, if I knew more about cars, maybe I would have picked up more of the jokes. And B, there were all these moments where Jim had his head bent under the hood yes. looking at stuff. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Though so the point here is that Jim plays out this story of the Senate investigation. Uh, hey, do you know anyone high up in the office who's been selling their stock or living above their means? Because maybe... Uh, since this was a big-time bribery scandal with the Bolivia thing, I'm still helping out Warren, and Warren right. has this theory. And Warren's theory is, what if Bonner was skimming money from these bribes because they're cash, and then Lefcourt finds out about it, and Lefcourt killed Bonner, and then Garrett says, okay, so who killed Lefcourt? He says, well, what if Bonner had a partner. Yes. And then he says that Warren thinks it's Thomas Van Housen, who's another director, just another name that's like another yeah, director he, of the company. Which he would have gotten right off that directory. Right. That the previous scene. Uh, Mr. Hudson, would you uh, do me a favor and check out Van Housen's lifestyle? See if he's living a little high on the hog. I think that Warren's theory is pretty good. All we need is that final piece. And then to tell Warren what he finds, because this is all Warren's idea. And he's staying in this hotel because he's hiding out from the police. So this is all Jim setting up Garrett. Right? Yeah, this is this is a honeypot. <laughs> this is a trap. Yeah, the business with the car is interesting. Uh, I think I felt that same tension. I kept expecting because what's happening is that he's laying it out for this guy, and it, the guy gets a little angry at some of the stuff that Jim brings up. Not angry, but heated about it. Yeah. See, you expect Jim to drop that he thinks this guy did it to see how this guy reacts or something like that, but he doesn't, he's setting up a trap. But that's why, like I, I did spend most of the scene expecting Jim to get slammed under a, uh, yeah, me a too. hood uh, and then a chase. And then think some of the stuff about the car was supposed to imply that Jim knew far more about cars than this guy did. I thought it was a class thing that sure. was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to push start the car and Jim's like, oh, that wouldn't work with this. He goes, oh, it's one of those new carburetors, right? And Jim's like, no, it's it's an automatic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a car person, but I know that. Like, I, <laughs> But I had a stick. So I, I guess that's I the... I think he says it's the catalytic converter. All these new anti-smog things. Yeah. and uh, so, But the wire stuff was also that. Like, It was a little bit of Jim going, like, it used to be better <laughs> or something. Yeah. If this was my car, I could figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the last little gag is like Jim being like, yeah, that's a lot of wires. Like, because Jim can't figure it out either. There was a bit at the very, very beginning where 
Garrett says, I called the auto club, but they haven't showed up yet. Oh, Rockford, I thought you were the auto club. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's weird. It's a weird set of words to put together. If they were the opposite order, Mm -hmm. then it would make sense. But in the order that they were in, I was like, what? Anyways, I just wanted to mention it. Maybe I misheard it. No, that's what that's what I heard too. So yeah, I don't know. A little weird. It's there's a lot of like. I mean, we'll get to it at the end. You know, with our overall takeaways. But there's a lot of just like little bobbles in this episode yeah. that like kind of are like okay, like <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing that that makes me go. Ugh. Yeah. But like some of them, that, you know, huh, what's what's that? All right. Yeah. Uh, from here, we get into the uh, noir uh, portion yeah. of the episode. Uh, which I actually really like. So we're at the Sunset Lodge Motel, uh, which is where Jim told uh, Garrett Warren would be. Garrett calls from a phone booth and does that. Uh, he checked it out and there wasn't anything with Van Housen because uh, Jim answers the phone. And it's like, is Warren is Warren going to be there or something? It says that Warren is checking something else out. He's going to be back there soon. Jim is going to go follow up on another lead at some like nightclub or something. Yeah. So soon so I'm gonna leave to go do that soon. I'll leave a note for Warren. Um the whole idea is that he's establishing that Warren's gonna be alone in the hotel room. Right. Yeah. So Garrett goes for it. We see him pull into this uh parking lot, take a pistol from his glove box. There's an ominous stair climbing pan. I will point out that he puts that pistol in his belt right above his crotch. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Mm -hmm. uh, all right. He enters the room. Apparently the door wasn't locked. There's this very slow pan across the shadowy, empty room. There's nobody there. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again. I'm going to do a thing here. And I, I'm sure everyone's sick of this. But there's a lamp in the background of this room that we had growing up. <laughs> and it's like there's a two lampshades. The inner one is like a cream-colored lampshade. It's solid, you know. And then the outer one is this wicker like a screen like mm-hmm. it's not a, a, a um opaque it's got you know like like a like a little wicker cage or whatever and then the the pedestal of the lamp or plinth or whatever it's called is is this faux wood thing anyways i wrote in my notes i was like holy you know this was th- this was the, the the uh lamp that we had in our basement and then i realized <laughs> that this is like watching a modern television show and recognizing the ikea chair that everyone sure. recognized like yeah. i'm sure every home in the 70s <laughs> like this is probably straight from sears but i just had this moment of like what that lamp <laughs> but it's not the important lamp no because there's an important lamp in a minute oh yeah yeah no it's not the important lamp no so yeah we have this very ominous pan and then uh we see garrett see the note that jim left say telling warren to wait for him yeah. uh so then he turns off the light and we kind of hear the sound of water and i think it comes up a little louder now so it's yeah. like, oh is he is like the shower running like warren's in the shower garrett goes over to the door hey warren are you there there's <laughs> no answer there's a beat and then as he opens the bathroom door, Jim jumps out, slamming the door into him and knocking the, the gun out of his hand. They have a tussle. A meaty tussle. A meaty tussle because Garrett pulls the stand lamp, which is the other lamp, yeah. over onto Jim, which yeah. kind of gives him an opportunity to scramble away. And they get into their meaty tussle, uh, which is very grunt and groany there on the <laughs> on the floor. When they finally get their feet, Jim gets the better body shots in. Like, Garrett mm-hmm. punches him across. Like, it's a good, like, 
strong like right across his jaw and jim comes back with some body blows and that's what takes the fight out of garrett so it's a good meaty fight yeah it's good so he collapses onto the couch and then he asks how did you know (sighs) basically well it was just a possibility but you showing up and giving me that message to give to warren that started me thinking he says what are you gonna if you're gonna make a macho citizen's arrest you you better (laughs) do it and Jim keeps the gun and starts mar- marching him down the stairs. And then we have this moment where Garrett tries to get away again. He like mm-hmm. There's like a shopping cart just there full of refuse. And he kind of throws it into Jim's way. But Jim takes a step back and still has the gun. Uh, he's like, Garrett, you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and he doesn't threaten him with the gun. I mean, he's holding the gun and pointing yeah. it in his direction. But he doesn't threaten him like, I could shoot you. He's like, I have the murder weapon. Right. Yeah. You know, I can take this to the cops, right? Like I have the case, whether you're with me or not. Finally, we get Garrett's uh, spilling the story. Uh, It's not his fault. He didn't want to kill anybody. It's Lefcourt's fault. You don't know what kind of man he is. Um, (laughs) So I guess this whole skimming idea is what was happening. But it was Garrett and Bonner were in on it. Bonner wanted to go to Lefcourt and come clean. Yeah. uh, But he knew that that would not be a good outcome because Lefcourt is a merciless corporate villain so he killed bonner to keep him from going to Lefcourt. but bonner had already gone to him before he was killed and so Lefcourt came back to garrett with the deal you take the rap for the bribes right and fix it so that warren takes the fall for bonner's murder uh but then he would be beholden to Lefcourt for the rest of his life and he wasn't willing to do that and that is when our police cars pull up and uh, our good friend Dennis Becker in the lead, of course. <laughs> you promised me Warren. I didn't promise you weeks. I promised you Bonner's and left court's killer. Here he is. Cut from both. Oh, come on, Dennis. Why me? You want the charges? You'll hear them later. Had a very long day. <laughs> it's, it's good. So this is, I think that phone call was to Becker to tell him, yeah. like, hey, I think I know, I can get you the murderer. Meet me at this place at that time of night. Yeah. Uh, I, I that, that absolutely is a possibility. Um, yeah, but it is a little bit of a mystery of who he's calling. Because it, it, that still, he could have done that after he set the trap, right? Like, it'd be presumptuous to call before setting the trap. Like, once you know you've set the trap. Yeah. But anyways, it's not worth getting into. It doesn't really matter. I think it was more for the joke of, like, it's a local call. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he could have been calling Rocky and saying, hey, leave that motel room. Or right. calling Beth and being like, do not let Warren out under any circumstances <laughs> yes. or whatever. Then go to our last scene where Jim is signing for his effects. Like riding a bicycle. <laughs> Once you learn, you never forget. And then we have this weird moment where yes. he turns, he's leaving the little cage where everything is. Then there's like a group of women being marched in and one of them makes eyes at him. Absolutely checks him out. Yeah. Like it is, there's no mistaking that whatsoever yeah and then he kind of gives her like a wink and and like a good checkout himself like yeah. as she passes <laughs> um you know that happens i guess it's kind of like jim is comfortable in this situation <laughs> yes well there's that and but it's a little bit of a juxtaposition of the conversation that we're about to have mm-hmm. uh which is one of television's most awkward conversations <laughs> Somehow it was even more awkward than the one at the end of Resurrection in black and white, where uh, Susan wants to do the photo essay of uh, uh, Dave. David, I think is his name. The guy who got out of jail. And he's like, yes, I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to get a woman. 
that was very awkward. This yeah. is even more so. So Beth and Warren come into the picture because Warren has also been released, I guess. Yeah. I spoke to Catherine. Well, that must have been quite a conversation. Oh, come on, Jim. Give him a break. He's been through a lot. You know, I never meant anything to her. I mean, I loved her. I honestly loved her. And, um, I was just an object. What kind of an object? You know. A sex object? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Leading up to that was like, I put that on the computer and there was no solution. Which yeah. That, I kind of glossed over. It's, I mean, like, it's, it's indicating that Warren thinks in a very logical way he shouldn't he's not able to interact with people normally uh but obviously computers make sense to him or something mm -hmm. like that but it the, the more important thing is this weird wording he has and then beth like trying to clarify it but clearly looking like she doesn't want to clarify right. it <laughs> like but can't let it go mm -hmm. oh it is bad i mean not bad as in bad television it's it's it, it's a conversation you don't want to have with a relative yeah, exactly. Becker arrives. He tells Jim that he got the Grand Theft Auto, the flight from arrest, and the breaking and entering charges dropped. Uh, and what other ones are there? And Beth informs him that, like, well, there is possession of a handgun and concealment of a weapon, I guess. <laughs> from when Becker arrested him while he was holding the gun, I guess. So that's a thing. But then we do get a moment of healing where Beth apologizes to Jim. But it isn't Warren's fault. It's mine. If it hadn't been for me, you'd have stayed out of it. But he's your cousin. No. He's a turkey. <laughs> and we freeze frame on her. He has his arm around her shoulders, and then that turns into like a side hug as yeah. they both smile after this wisecrack. And in this freeze frame, if you look at Warren in the background, he's looking at the camera, and he's smiling too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or they it just oh, got caught that way. That is wonderful. It is. It's pretty perfect for for the ending for that character. Oh, that's wonderful. <sighs> so it was a fun episode, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I feel like it's in like the meaty middle of yeah. of a Rockford Files episode for me. Nothing about it super stands out. Like I'm glad we got to talk about Beth, but that's more because of the rhythm of our show than this particular episode or even this season yeah. yeah uh there was some good lines in it the chase was funny uh it wasn't jim driving but it was mm -hmm. a like a funny goofy chase which is unusual for the rockford files mm -hmm. and so that kind of stands out a little bit to me that way um and there's a lot of humor I'm not sure if it's even at warren's expense maybe it is a little bit at warren's expense i was just thinking that like there is a lot of humor but it's not really i mean even though so when jim makes fun of warren it comes off more as mean-spirited yeah than it's actually funny so it's not really that we're making fun of warren it's more that there's just some like good jokes in the episode and i think part of that is the flute thing where jim keeps making fun of the flute and there's no there is no flute there's no flute. <laughs> um, and I think that helps, right? Like, I think that's... Well, it helps because there's... Okay. So Warren himself is not entirely a believable character, which is fine. Because mm -hmm. this is a show with Angel. Right. Yeah, the thing where it's like, 
every time he's in trouble, he panics and runs is like, it's one of those, it's like, here's a very one dimensional character trait that yeah. does not pay off. Like it, it is diminishing returns. It is less interesting every time he does it. But, but what works with Warren is the other people, well, basically Beth and Rocky, right? The way Beth and Rocky, how they relate to Ward mm-hmm. feels very real. Like I can understand Beth being in a situation where she has a cousin. She's known all her life who's a little weird Mm -hmm. uh, and she feels protective of him a little bit, but also knows that he's going to get on people's nerves. Right. Yeah. A little, a little responsible for him, a little protective of him, but also she gets exasperated with him like everyone else. Yeah. And then Rocky, who just is just likes certain people. He's a sucker for a short haircut. Yeah. Sucker for a short haircut. He goes to bat for Warren, which is like, like you had mentioned like a bit of a, the push, Mm-hmm. That Jim needs to to kind of get across whatever uh, threshold is, is in his way at that moment. Um, also, like endears us enough to Warren. I think partly because Warren's not on screen while that's happening. <laughs> I think it's good that he's not in the episode that much. Yeah, so we don't get upset with him. Exactly. Like, because I also did not feel particularly attached to Warren. Like, yeah. he's kind of annoying. <laughs> and, like, that's good for the character in context of the plot. Not great for someone you're seeing on screen for an hour. So, yeah. the limited amounts of Warren, I think, are fine. Um, I do like how we see him trailing along behind Jim at the wedding. Yeah. Like, doing his best. Scene. That's probably the best part um, for me, for him. And I love the whole gag about the. Um, the affair that he's having, which again feels both unreal and real at the same time, right? Like <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you can see Warren being, uh, for lack of a better term, vulnerable to that kind of situation, mm-hmm. right? Like he he's not very sociable, and if someone's like, "Well, this man is attractive enough, and uh, you know he works for my husband, and I, but I can probably control the situation better," so like here's you can see how if someone tells him. I love you. He's like, yeah. Oh, she loves me. Yeah. Like he's very literal, but then like seeing her and you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Like what is going on? Mm. And I love that it is, was an affair. Like Mm -hmm. there's nothing, there's no indication at any point that it wasn't. And in fact, there's no indication that if Warren was found out, that would jeopardize even his job. Right. Yeah. He, he was found out. Right. Cause like, yeah. Cause like Garrett's like left court knows about you. What he doesn't say is, but he doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's an episode where like, I like all the structural elements. There's something, it doesn't really transcend for me in terms of being a memorable yeah. episode. You know, if it comes up again, I'd be like, Oh yeah, that one's pretty good. But it does do the thing that I, I feel like I talk about all the time. Um, all the characters, once you know all their motivations, everything made sense. Yeah. It's very motivated. Um, and it does a really good job of pacing out the hints of, or the foreshadowing of, yeah. like, the resolution. It's So it's not, so I like that it's not a, like, oh, and we'll tell you what happened in two minutes of dialogue at the end of the episode. Like, I kind of right. like that we see, we see the pieces come together as Jim is lying, is setting up his honeypot. Like, we're like yes. oh, okay, I I see what the story is here. Um, and then we get that confirmed for us. But it's not the, uh, like, oh, and here's what was happening the whole time um, reveal, which is, like, fine, but sometimes a little unsatisfying. So it's like, I have nothing I have nothing but good things to say about the episode, but I also don't know if it's a particularly memorable episode for me. 
I guess is my takeaway. Well, there are plenty of episodes, so there has to be some of those in there. <laughs> there has to be something in, and it's not, yeah, and it's not in the lower half of the episodes. I would say, no. um, it's just, yeah, it's in that meaty, that meaty middle, like that meaty brawl. The average Rockford Files episode is above average for a Rockford Files episode. Right, right. The average Rockford Files episode is is kind of like in the B plus A minus categories. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about that curve. All about the curve. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all I have to say about the trouble with Warren. Um, there wasn't anything particularly interesting in any other like quick research about the episode or in the book. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, it doesn't have a great rating on imdb but it's not a bad rating you know like it's very (laughs) it's as we've been saying as we've been saying um some of the imdb reviews do kind of talk about like warren is not very appealing (laughs) yeah it doesn't really make much sense that anyone is helping warren and it's like i don't disagree with that but also he is a coherent character so i don't think that's a failing of the acting uh i think this particular plot just kind of hinges on a character that we don't want to see very much of and like that's going to happen in shows like i think they handled that quite well yeah if you're going to do that then this might be the way to do it you have him on scene for just enough i feel like i'm coming down on warren pretty bad right here he's not that that bad it's just you feel you definitely feel jim's uh put upon this yeah yeah right like because you're just like i think oh. we all have this person in our lives yeah i think we can all relate to jim on a pretty visceral level even while we also understand beth and yes. her position on that same visceral level because i think we all have this person in our lives as the beth figure and in our lives as the rockford figure yeah <laughs> and none of us well I'm going to go out on a limb. I may be wrong, but I think none of us have ever had this person in our lives framed for murder. Right. I'm knocking on wood, but yes. (laughs) So a weirdly relatable episode, I guess, in its own way. All right. I think that's all I I really have to say about The Trouble with Warren. Do you have any parting thoughts no i think uh, i think we've we've uh plugged it all into the computer and uh <laughs> the end result was what we just got all right very good well we will go see if we can get our own uh non-meat-based uh grilled lunches <laughs> prepped and perhaps even a whole forkful into our mouths but we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the rockford files Wink, 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 wink.